Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. We are thrilled to be presenting a seven-part series with our fantastic partner, Maze Row Wine Merchant. We are proud to present this series of interviews, diving deep into the heritage and legacy of Maze Row's excellent Italian producers. Tune in every Saturday from March 5th through to April 16th as we take an intimate look at these respected historic producers and their role as part of the Maze Row family of luxury wines. And remember to check out our YouTube channel, Mama Jumbo Shrimp, for incredible video content featuring a visit to Argiano. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. And thank you to Andrea Piropan for joining us today as well. My name is John Irwin, and I represent Maysrail Wine Merchants, an importer for wines, including Piropan in the United States. And I'm also an Italian wine ambassador, like some of you may be as well. So uh, I just wanted to jump right in here. Andrea, welcome. Thank you for joining us. We're going to talk a little bit about the history of your estate. We're going to talk about those beautiful wines that you make. And of course, what I'm really interested in talking about today, too, is the new cantina that you just opened as well. So if you want to take yourself off mute here and just say hi to the fine people here in Clubhouse. Ciao, John. Ciao, ciao, ciao. Como stai? How is everything? Good. Thank you. Yeah. What about you? I am doing really well. I'm actually in Calistoga today, traveling in Napa. So you and I were in two wine regions across the world from each other, um, but uh, I want to focus on your wine region, first and foremost, Suave Classico. So I'll just give you a, a brief introduction here for those of you who may be new to Piropan. I'm sure you have heard the name before, but this is Andrea Piropan, fourth generation, I believe, uh, Andrea uh, winemaking for Piropan with an estate that has existed since 1880, located in Suave Classico. And famously, uh, you know, of course, I have a certain bias towards Piero Pan, but I, I believe Piero Pan is the first family of Suave for a few different historical reasons that we'll get into in just a second. So, Andrea, I want to turn it over to you, and I want to ask you if you can give us a little bit of a historical perspective on your family. When did the winery start? Talk a little bit about the different generations that have influenced Piropan over the years, what they've brought to it. And then also a little history of Suave uh, mixed in. I'll ask you questions, of course, if there's anything that comes up. But I want to hand it over to you if you can give a little history of Piropan as an estate. Ciao, John. Yes, I'm, uh, as, as you say, I'm, I'm the fourth generation of Piropan's family with my brother Dario. And uh, but before before us, uh, the first one has been uh, Leonildo Piropano in 1880s, as you said, who who was an um, a, a, was a surgeon. Uh, he wasn't uh, an, a winemaker. He was a, technically a doctor, but fortunately for us, he left the job because it becomes scary about the blood. So <laughs> if you <laughs> so if you want to be surgeon and you're scary about the blood, definitely doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And um, he had got uh, a couple of hectares of lands in, uh, mainly in the Calvarinos area, and uh, he started to make uh, an, an, a sweet wine called Recioto di Suave because, uh, because uh, from his, um, his knowledgeable, uh, sorry, for his uh, doctor studies, he probably knows the, the, the biological process of the, of the, uh, of, uh, of the, um, of the organism, and then he started to, to make some wine. 
he had got uh, three sons, uh, Fausto, Gustavo, and Giulio. Giulio became engineer, not involved uh, in, um, in, in, in this business. And uh, Fausto and Gustavo continued the job of the father without being winemakers. But from three sons, from three men, we had got just one son, Leonildo, from Fausto, my father. Leonildo became graduating in winemaking school in Conegliano in 1966. And uh, he became, uh, after he became graduated, he invested to buy uh, the most beautiful vineyard in the Suave Classico because uh, at that time Pierpan was uh, already in, in the production of wine, but uh, we, we weren't independent in terms of vineyard. So um, he bought several vineyards. Calvarino was already, was already part of the family, but uh, arrived uh, La, La Rocca, for example, 1976, and many other vineyards located in the classical, in the classical zone. From my father, uh, he had got uh, two sons, me and my brother Dario. Dario is the winemaker because he's graduated in winemaking school in uh, university in Udine. And um, I have done, um, after um, a winemaking school in, uh, in San Michele Ladige, I've done uh, agronomist uh, studies in the University of Padova. So in our family business, we, we run two, two parts differently. One is uh, Dario take care about the vinification of, of the wine, and I take care about the, the, the job in the vineyard. I'm so interested in this idea that your great-grandfather was a surgeon because famously, uh, one thing that's been said about your father, Franco Allegrini said that if your father didn't become a winemaker, he would have been a watchmaker. Uh, referencing the fact that there there has always been a level of precision and detail and care in your winemaking, and it seems to be almost genetic that you bring this very. There, as I've talked to you in the past, there's certainly a scientific approach to the wine, but what I find so exciting about your wines is it's married with this understanding that the the terroir is going to give you what it gives you. Do you ever think about that tension or, or do you consider that idea of how do you manage, you know, making the best possible wine versus making the wine that a specific vineyard might give you like Calvarino or La Roca? I, th- I think um, the, 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 the careful of the details is a part of the, um, is a part of the characteristic of the Piropan and, um, and in particular, um, we, we uh, from my father and now, uh, and, and, now uh, and now us, we want to um, get the opportunity as more as possible that the glass of wine is, um, is talking about the territory where we come from. So to, be, to make wine like this, you have to be a good listener more than a good talker. Which mean, which mean, which mean, understand the potential of the territory. Don't make necessary every time the wine that you uh, want to show, but uh, have the have the have the the attention and the sensibility to to show what the territory wants to show, and uh, and this is not banal in my in my opinion. That. There, I want to back up uh, to get to Calvarino and La Roca, your two 
single vineyard wines, watershed wines for Schwabe Classico. But since we're on this topic, I do want to mention the first time I ever met you, Andrea, you said something really interesting to me, and it was like a lightning bolt that you were explaining that many people can make good wines now. The science, the technology has caught up to make good wines. And now it's really quality wine is really more about what you're saying, listening instead of talking. And, 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 um, was that something that has always been since, you know, in your family, this idea of delivering this idea of terroir, or did you get to a place where the wine technology caught up where you felt like you really could deliver terroir in a specific way? And, you sought that out. Some, I think, it was um, was something that my father has always introduced in his part of um, life because uh, Papa has been the, the first one to introduce the single vineyard in this in this land with Calvarino in 1971 with La Rocca on 1978. So you don't make a single vineyard at the beginning or at the end of the 1970s if you don't have uh, the sensibility to understand that. Uh, and a terroir can be better than others and then must be expressed in the wine. So I think the sensibility and the, the, also the humility to understand the potential and not to be the protagonist of your wine, but uh, to be a, an instrument uh, of your wine to develop uh, the territory in the glass uh, is something that you, you cannot learn, you cannot... Uh, you cannot um, learn in, in, in any book or whatever. It's like it's like it's like watching an, uh, watching something uh, that could be hard or whatever and appreciate it if it's well done or not. So if you have the sensibility to understand and to appreciate what is nice, what is beautiful, you have it. If you don't, you don't have it. Yeah, for all the science that goes into wine in terms of, you know, chemical signatures and, and the things that we think of when we think of aromatics that come out of wine esters. It's amazing how philosophical wine can remain um, despite how much precision can be brought to winemaking. I want to talk about that moment in the 1970s, particularly that first vintage of Calvarino in 1971. And so for those of you in the clubhouse right now that are not familiar with the wine, Calvarino was the first single vineyard Suave Classico. And correct me if I'm wrong, Andrea, but I believe it was also the first Suave Classico to really be aged for any significant amount of time before release. Is that accurate? What do you mean? If it's, it was, uh, it's been it's been a, about a. I'm not sure if the winemaking was the same back then, but uh, it's it would spend a year on the lees in in fiberglass lined concrete tanks. Yeah, Cavarino um, start to be uh, not immediately, not since 1971, start to okay. do an extra year of aging in the cement tanks with fiberglass uh, wall, but uh, the choice to give also for Calvarino an extra year of aging, as was already done since the beginning with La Rocca, was done in 2003. Because we, we, we understood that the Calvarino potential 
uh, was, was appear better when, uh, when the wine remain longer in the cellar. So, and, uh, and, and then to be not confused with the Suave Classico, which used in the 2003 to get an extra year of aging uh, to, to place the uh, Calvarino as La Rocca, uh, releasing one year later. I see. Okay. And 1971, releasing a single vineyard, Watershed, in Italy generally, because I think as we've talked about before, it wasn't um, uncommon for wines made from international varieties, especially white wines, to be single vineyard. You know, Yerman's Vintage Tunina came out around then. Gaia was playing with international varieties and and uh, Olivia Fuluga. But I'm interested in the fact that your father was so committed to native varieties specifically, and especially in a region that at the time wasn't known for um, terroir-driven single vineyard wines. I, I believe at the time there were probably there was probably oceans of Suave being imported into the United States that was made as more of a simple quaffing wine. Is that is that right? Yeah, uh, the, the uh, as you, as you say, La Roca in the specific was was born uh, almost uh, around the years of those wine that you mentioned, and uh, and uh, but the, the, the big uh, one of the big difference comparing those wines was that uh, my father trusted that this project was possible to make. Uh, with indigenous grapes, with a local grapes, in this specific case with Garganega. So the, 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 the project is big because, not only because he trusted it was possible to make a great wine with one year of aging, fermentation and aging on oak, but because he trusted it was possible with a Garganega grapes that, as you say, was in the in the in the common idea for everybody, uh, and a grape just for massive production. So now is it's quite simple and easy to talk about uh, this. But uh, almost forty five years ago was definitely not so easy. Yeah, here in the United States, it's not uncommon for us now to find. Grillo by the glass on a wine list or Caraconte or some other native grapes. But it, I find it so remarkable the vision that your father had to make a single vineyard varietally label, varietally built Garganaga, native varietal wine in 1978. And, and and to think that now we sort of seek these native varieties out, but at that time it just wasn't happening. People were really leaning on international varieties more, especially in areas like Friuli. And so um, for everybody in the clubhouse now, we're talking about the first vintage of La Roca, which was in 1978. This was the first single vineyard oak-aged Suave Classico. And one story that I find fascinating, Andrea, that you've told me about before is that you struggled to sell this wine in Italy initially. Is that accurate? Yeah, is um, it has been uh, very difficult at the beginning to for my father, obviously, for propose this wine because uh, 
between uh, between when it born and uh, I want to say beginning of the 1990s. So for we can say 15 years more or less, it was uh, technically impossible to sell this wine in Italy because. Uh, as we discussed, uh, the, 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 the general opinion, the common idea was that the white wine generically was just to drink extremely fresh and young. So one, two months after the harvest, in particular, Soave, you, it was the years of Ebola, was the years of big, massive volume Soave in the U.S. market, but also, also here in Italy. And um, because we, we don't have a technically comparison with uh, uh, French wine or something like that, the consuming of wine in Italy was uh, 99% domestic wine, so the comparison was not existing, people simply don't approach to a wine like this because it was uh, one year older, fermented in Asian oak, and was still called Suave. So all those things was exactly going in the opposite direction of what my father projects wants to what wants to show the uh, and this wine could be this project could be continuous just because it has been well accepted outside of Italy UK Canada US Japan and that gave the force for my father to to continue this project otherwise if if we will be not like this, probably we will not probably here to talk uh, any more about La Roca. Just the beginning of the nineties, when um, start to born Gambero Rosso, slow wine, ice sommelier. So the first Italian uh, wine magazine, uh, also Italian market start to recognize this wine and appreciate uh, his his, um, his quality. Was that Luigi Veronelli's uh, wine writing that that started to that started to promote Piero Pan broadly, or was it something else? Yeah, Luigi Veronelli uh, arrived uh, earlier than this magazine arrived in the seventies okay. and was a very big fan of Calvarino. In fact, he he have seen once have say that uh, Calvarino is like uh, an, um, an an a blue. Um, blue jacket for a man. What mean mean that um, uh, is is something that you that every man has to have it in the, his cupboard because uh, in case you get to the party, in case you have to go to the funeral, in case you have to go to work, and a blue jacket makes uh, makes every man always comfortable. No, and uh, and in this sense, Calvarino is so suitable, so so versatile wine that uh, it will be ne- never missed in any fridge. This was the, the meaning of the of this synthesis of Luigi Veronelli about uh, about Calvarino uh, in case. I love that. Uh, and so I wish for everybody on this call to have a bottle of Calvarino in their fridge at all times. It's as, <laughs> it's as useful as a, as a blue jacket or a little black dress. Um, so... Uh, and so I just I'm I'm so fascinated in the within the context of what your father did first single vineyard first single vineyard oak aged even being beyond where the market was ready. You told me though a story where your father snuck the wine into a tasting of Burgundy. Is that accurate? The Larocca. He it, it was it was in a tasting of um, organized for my father with. Uh, 
some Gambero Rosso taster at the, at the winery. He put an, um, an, an older bottle of La Roque in a Burgundy tasting, <laughs> and uh, and was uh, was fun because uh, in a blonde tasting when they discover those twenty wines, uh, La Roque arrived second in in terms of scores, and then um, that was also the beginning of. Um, of the understanding of La Rocca for those uh, for those journalists and also for 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 then uh, for the for the market in Italy we're talking about. Yeah, it wasn't long after that I think that Gambaroso actually named La Rocca um, their white wine of the year in the early two thousands. You was, talked was about a, yeah was was nineteen ninety eight the vintage. So it was a, sorry. Yeah, it was at the beginning of the two thousand. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the suitability of Calvarino. It's, it's, um, it's ability it's to work across different cuisines and different occasions, but can you speak a little bit more broadly just to kind of, um, just to kind of set the table for Suave wine to you, can you describe Suave wine and to you, can you just say what you think makes a great Suave wine in terms of flavors and profile? Suave wine or Piero Pan? Suave wine and Piero Pan specifically. So both, if you don't mind. I prefer to talk about Piero Pan. <laughs> Piero Pan. <laughs> well, I guess I guess we can we can say comfortably that a great Suave wine is Piero Pan. So we let's talk about what uh, Piero Pan. What is a no. typical flavor profile for Piero Pan? For for us, uh, as we have always done uh, wine uh, gastronomic. Um, always, even the years where it was very unpopular, we always worked to have a wine with, an, uh, in, in our opinion, and a correct alcohol content that makes the, the wine very pleasant to drink with food, many type of food, because in my opinion, when, when the alcohol is too high, the, the, it kills a bit the, the, the taste of, uh, of, of the cuisine. And um, and and this is not something that we definitely don't want for 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 our wine. The using of garganega and tradiano suave without malolactic helps to have more freshness and more um, character of the terroir. Because uh, any time that you have too much malo in the wine, in, in my opinion, the wine should be should looks like um, too much global in taste and less connect with the terroir. And uh, and this is something that Piropan, for example, doesn't like much. So we want the connection with the territory, and then uh, we maintain the freshness and the acidity exactly for this reason, because give more drinkability with food, and and at the same time has more connection with the territory. Uh, the white, the the, the the in the younger expression, the the aroma can be recognized with some peaches. Uh, apricot blossom flowering aroma cherry almond blossom with uh, a touch of pear because uh, this comes from the Trediano di Suave which gives the acidity and um, and the uh, obviously if you don't use Trediano di Suave but you use the Chardonnay this is a completely different result but we haven't Chardonnay in our blend different stories definitely with La Rocca because in La Rocca because it's 100% Garganega picked very very ripe uh, the the overripe character give an extra um, 
an extra flavor with much more complexity. So the fruit goes more into the tropical notes, some pineapple, some mango, some tropical character that uh, are less uh, in, in the fresher version. Yeah, and so to bring this down to some technical information, so as many of you probably know, Suave Classico, the indigenous varieties that are allowed in Suave Classico are Garganaga and Trebbiano di Suave. Trebbiano di Suave is genetically, and I'm using air quotes here, the same as Verdicchio, but this is a specific biotype that's native to Suave Classico. And um, however, you're also allowed to use Chardonnay, in the blend, however, Piero Pan never uses Chardonnay. They only focus on the native varieties. You mentioned that Trebbiano di Suave gives a little bit more acidity to the to the wine. Um, and you mentioned the power of and, – and, and just to back up, Trebbiano di Suave is in Calvarino, 30%. So it's a 70-30 blend, Garganaga to Trebbiano di Suave in Calvarino. And La Roca is 100% Garganaga. Was there a specific reason why you chose Garganaga, um, 100% Garganaga for the La Roca bottling in that specific vineyard versus the 30% Treviano di Suave in the Calvarino vineyard? Because in La Roca, the project was since the beginning to get in overripe uh, fruit. And this is possible with Garganaga grapes, uh, much more complicated with Treviano because Treviano mature too early to enjoy the the the, the overripe because uh, with Carganiga we go until the end of October where there are the optimum condition for the overripe uh, uh, grape. Different stories for Trediano because Trediano matures in September. September is too warm, too much light still on, and then it's, it's hard to have the botrytis in September because La Rocca project was an, an, an extra character in, in fruit, was suitable for Garganega and not for Trediano. In, in the opposite, in the Calvarino, we have a, a blend of Garganega and Trediano di Soave, eh, because Calvarino represents uh, eh, the most typical, probably, eh, expression of, uh, of an, a volcanic soil, where Trediano mm, Gives, gives a lot in the basinate to the soil. So it's the perfect place where can be cultivated. That volcanic soil gives really gives the wine some minerality as well, some really distinct minerality, which adds just this beautiful textural component to the wine. Can you talk a little bit about the new winery? Uh, I think this is important. This is uh, big for Piero Pan to be moving from the old cantina to the new cantina. Tell us about the new winery. Tell us when it opened and how are things going? The the project of the new winery has been uh, finished uh, last September after five years uh, of, uh, of an amazing job because uh, we, rem- we have just to think that we removed 120,000 uh, meter cube of soil, which is the same amount of soil if you put an a line on a, a line of track from Verona to Venice so 90 kilometer mm. of a uh, highway okay so it's an amazing amount of soil removed all of them because the the, 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 the cantina is completely integrated in the, in the bottom part of this hill and in fact is uh, 
is covered for three sides uh, of four, uh, and just one front is uh, is offering outside and is all covered with the stones. So it's a whole project to be mitigated in, uh, in the classical era of Suave to be to be perfectly integrated. Is uh, is an project very new. Uh, because it has a lot of things so that works in a sustainability way. We have um, the, an assistant to cover the, the water on top of the roof, so that the water is covered to be reused for the irrigation. Because it's inside of the hill, we have a temperature control naturally much better than many other situation. So there are many, many things that has been well, well considered. Uh, has been thought from my father that unfortunately couldn't uh, couldn't um, couldn't uh, couldn't see the the end of this uh, of this uh, of, of this project, and uh, for us it was also an mission to finish this um, this um, this winery uh, because it's a winery dedicated to to our father Leonido. It's absolutely stunning. I had the chance to visit it last year. And uh, your father sadly passed away in 2018, and so a vision of your father, uh, but carried on by you and your brother Dario. What I find so amazing about the winery is that when I we initially heard that you were going to be building a new cantina, there was, you know, we were we in the United States were of course um, at first we thought, oh no, because. Your previous winery was in your family home. It was so charming, so intimate. But what I learned in arriving at your new winery is that it's not just for Piero Pan. This winery is so beautiful and so stunning. It really elevates Suave Classico as a whole. So congratulations on the new space. And I just want to comment, um, it's so big. Andrea, you're going to be incredibly thin and in shape walking around that winery, trying to get from room to room. I know Dario had a little scooter that he was using to get around when I was there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, he has a small scooter, electric scooter, yeah, to move, uh, to move because it's too big. In a large space, uh, was thought to be able to make uh, also a lot of things. And um, things as uh, the opportunity to mature some uh, vintages of Calvarino, La Rocca, uh, all things that could not possible to do in the um, in the other winery because the space was so limited and that was uh, not permit makes also do the beautiful uh, projects. One of them uh, will be presented soon at the inauguration of the winery, the 14th of April. Because we are going to present it in a wine thought uh, since the beginning to celebrate the, the new winery and this Calvarino Cinque. Cinque is five in Italian and is a blend of uh, five vintages of Calvarino, uh, matured quite a long time in, in the cellar and blended just last year. We are talking about a blend of uh, 2008, 2009, 2010. 2011 and 2012. Matured, so the youngest mature at least 10 years, the older one 14 years, and blended last year to celebrate the new winery. It's a, it's a new, unique project for a special uh, thing. It's really exciting. I can't wait to taste it. Talk as well about the new plantings that you have on the roof of the building. 
there's a hectare on the roof of the building as well. And you mentioned it's covered on three sides. And, and for those of you listening, truly, it is it, it folds in the landscape. It's literally built into the hill. What do you have planted on the roof and, and what are you hoping to do with that space? On top of the roof, we planted an, uh, an uh, experimental vineyard made with uh, PV variety. PV are the, the variety resistant to the main fungus that attacked the plant. Is a, the variety is a Pinot Blanc because it's not available Gargamega and Trebian Suave in the market. So the idea that the project uh, could be makes a wine 100% sustainable because uh, um, even if the winery is already certificated organic since 10 years, as you know, organic doesn't give 100% of sustainability because you use copper and sulfur. You don't use many pesticides. You don't use many chemicals from synthesis, but you don't have zero impact. What, what, what is interesting about this project is that potentially we can have a cultivation of plant with zero impact in the ground and, um, and, and then uh, will be nice think, to, to, to start as a pioneerist wine with a wine uh, 100% uh, sustainable in any part. Even up because uh, if you don't do contamination but you produce uh, green mass because the leaves remain obviously and the cane and the shoots remain in the ground you get more than what you uh, than what you pick so this this is more or less the 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 pilot the pilot uh, project that we want to to, to bring it's beautiful, and, and it, it, there's a clear line of innovation that runs through Puropan throughout the history. And I think um, what's so amazing about the winery over the decades is that you've maintained this sense of heritage, you know, with native varieties and uh, non-interventionist winemaking, and yet you always have an eye on how you can improve wine not just for yourselves, but for the larger world around you, you know, as evidenced with Calvarino, La Roca, and now with these experimental plantings you have now. I want to pause there. I want to just invite anybody to throw a question that they may have in the chat. And I want to close, Andrea, I'll give you the final word, but something I want to, I want to quote to you is something that uh, Ian Doggett wrote in 2018, and I find this to be an incredibly powerful statement about Pierre Pan. And he says, I was in my teens when, thanks to my dad, I tasted my first great Italian wine. It was Pierre Pan's 1971 Suave Calvarino. No Italian white wine I had ever tasted up to that point was remotely close to the quality of that wine. I still remember every drop. The fourth time I drank a truly great white wine from Italy was a couple of years later, which tells you just how hard it was to come by great Italian white wines. This time it was Piero Pan's 1979 Suave Calvarino. That may help put things into perspective. Piero Pan has accompanied my life in wine and has done so with grace and style. Yeah, is uh, is true. And um, <laughs> in, the, in joking with him once uh, in Rome, he told me that, uh, and thanks uh, of those wine, now I, I decided to, because as you probably know, 
before of um, of what what he is 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 now he was a pediatric he was a doctor mm-hmm. he was uh, he was living in canada and he was a uh, pediatric so a doctor of child and because also because of this good wine he changed he changed his profession he changed his uh, his job and he became a critic of wine Piero Pan, turning doctors to wine lovers since 1880. Well, I just want to say thank you for joining us today. Uh, Again, if there are any last-minute questions here, you can always throw them into the chat. But, Andrea, thank you for spending the time with us today. It's it's always a pleasure catching up with you. Um, And I just want to congratulate you and thank you for the incredible integrity that you and your brother bring to your winemaking, the wines are absolutely spectacular. The 2019 La Roca and Calvarino have sold out in the United States, and we're looking forward to the 2020 arriving in the next month or so. So thank you so much. I do see one question here from Paul. Um, he wants to know, and this is a great question, Andrea, at what age does Calvarino develop bottle-age flavors? Today we have opened a few bottles. There was here and a couple of a person, one was the sommelier of the Shangri-La. Just a few hours later, he left. He left. <laughs> he left our office. He was a sommelier of Shangri-La from Paris. We opened a uh, beautiful Calvarino 2013 and a wonderful 2010. But last Monday, we opened a 2003, for example, Calvarino. What age? Depend. Depend. Depend also from the vintages. Uh, I want to say. At least Calvarino start to show his character, his potential, at least after five years. But the, how long will, will appear those characteristic? Part of this depends also the, from the character of the vintage. But we can easily say that our, our wine got easily over 15, 20 years. Because we, we opened in this 2003 last Monday. We were here with the restaurant uh, uh, that was a two Michelin star, and today he did the order. Uh, just this one did. <laughs> is, it, is it the same for La Roca as well? Yeah, I want to say that La Roca maybe uh, needs, uh, at the beginning, needs a little bit, a couple of years, a little bit before, because we have to, the effect of the, the oak must be, need a little bit more time to be integrated in taste. So comparing Calvarino, which is immediately probably at birth, La Roca has this first couple of years that that need times, but after that age as Calvarino supremely well. Very good. Well, I uh, we don't have any other questions, so I think um, we covered a lot of ground here, Andrea, and I just want to congratulate you again on the new cantina. And looking forward to seeing you at Venitaly, for uh-huh. so those of you who may be attending Venitaly. Uh, We look forward to seeing you as well. And thank you so much for your time today. Much appreciated. Okay. Ciao, John. Grazie. We hope you enjoyed this episode of our new Maze Row Wine Merchants series. The focus is on excellence, family, legacy, sincerity, and innovation. Tune in next Saturday for the next installment featuring another in-depth and intimate conversation with the heritage Italian wine producers that form the core of the Maze Row Italian wine family. To learn more about Maze Row Wine Merchant and today's featured producer, see our show notes and visit their websites. Don't forget to subscribe and like our show and tune in to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your pods.
guys, I'm Joy Livingston and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.